Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Light. We're going to go head off to Kingston Corner this time. Football is getting tantalisingly close. We're just two weeks away. In fact, at the time of recording, we uh, in two weeks' time, we're about just under half an hour until Saints kick off against Norwich. It's getting exciting. My name is Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson and this is Under the Lights. Welcome back to Under the Lights. It's been a little while since our last episode, but there's been quite a lot of news in terms of goings on at Southampton. New contracts, potential signings, players going, players leaving, but football is getting closer and closer. The fixtures have been released for the first three rounds and my word, Callum, it looks like we're going to have a summer bonanza of football anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, as, as, we, as we thought was going to be the case, it's nice to, um, to finally see the, the fixtures as they're going to be played and uh, and how they're going to be accessible to fans. That's all, all information's online, but it's, uh, you don't really realise just how much fall is going to be until you see all of those fixtures laid out and the dates and times. I mean, just we've had the first three rounds of fixtures, I believe, just from Wednesday the 17th. You've got Villa and Sheffield United at 6pm, followed by Man City Arsenal. Uh, quarter past eight. Then, on and those are the two games that were um, the games in hand from the uh, from the FL Cup final that weekend when they couldn't play. Obviously, um, Villa and Man City playing each other in that game. And then the nineteenth is when the rest of the fixtures kick off, starting with Saints. Uh, they're away at Norwich. That's going to be free to watch on Sky and Pick TV. Uh, that's at six pm. And Spurs, Man United. They just the big games keep on coming. That's at quarter past eight. So that'd be a good Friday night for Saints fans to, uh, to watch a bit of football. Hopefully three points. And then on the Saturday you've got twelve thirty, three o'clock, five thirty, and then quarter to eight. It's just uh, football after football after football. And then the next day on the Sunday. There's a, there's a two o'clock, a quarter past four, and a seven o'clock. And then Monday night football just to round off the weekend. Man City versus Burnley at eight. Just when you think usually with the Monday that all the football's done for the week, we've got two games on uh, two games on the Tuesday and then another five on the Wednesday. So it's pretty much non-stop. It's going to be like um, it's going to be like the World Cup where there's games on every day, except there are going to be so many games on every day. And it'll get to the point, I think, you know, when you're you're watching a World Cup and there's a there's a, a, a break for even 24 hours where there isn't a game whatsoever. And you uh, and just sat around thinking, well, what am I going to do with today? Because I watched four games yesterday. There's a, there's two games tomorrow. But suddenly there's a there's a day where there isn't going to be. And it's like a solitary Thursday with no football. I think that's going to be um, that's going to be even more evident in these in these fixtures because there are just so many of them. There are, there are, and they've got to fit 92 in six weeks. And uh, let, let me ask you, have you managed to uh, book the remote yet? Have you set any ground rules? <laughs> well, my brother's coming back from uni, my dad's here, so uh, I would think that we will um, all get together and watch as much of this as possible because obviously it's not during, during your normal work hours um, the, to the evening games during the week and then obviously the weekend so I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get together around the, the TV and uh, and watch that watch watch as many of these games as we as we possibly can I'm really looking forward to it because I don't have access to Sky or BT. I've never actually, we've never actually got it at my house so I'm missing out so it'd be good to watch those on the um, the free to view although I was looking when I it was announced at the BBC we're going to have some games to uh, to put out the first one since the inception of the Premier League, when it became the Premier League, that they're actually going to televise on the BBC to then see which was the first fixture. Yeah, I was just saying before we start recording this that they, both them and um, I think the only people who got a rougher deal than uh, the BBC were Amazon Prime. I think the BBC have got Bournemouth versus Palace and then Norwich versus Everton. And then um, at least with those ones, you've, you've got a couple of teams that are still fighting for their place in the Premier League at home in a commas but the poor old Amazon Prime have been stuck with uh, Burnley versus Crystal Palace you said um, which couldn't be two more boring offensive organised sides in mid-table with nothing to play for so uh, 
although, although we haven't had football for a long time, there's a chance I might not watch that one. It's going to be Tuesdays, I suppose. Yeah, cue a five-ball draw. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're obviously football is coming back. We're really excited. It is just a matter of, well, under two weeks now, and there's going to be plenty of football, as you said. It's going to be almost like a World Cup. There's going to be games every day, except there's going to be even more, because I think a World Cup is usually about 64 matches in five weeks or so, whereas they're going to have to fit another 30 in uh, an extra week. So a lot of football is going to be watched. A lot of arses are going to be sat down on sofas. There's probably going to be a lot of drink being had. And I would be interested to know what the viewing figures are because they're going to go through the roof with everyone still essentially in lockdown. Let's turn it round to Saints because there has been some news in the past week or so. And it's been good news for Saints because Hasenhutl has signed a new four-year deal. He is just absolutely a brilliant manager he's turned it around from a quite simply disastrous start of the season and a result that we don't really want to revisit too many times I'm sure you don't having been there in the wind and the rain Uh, but since then he's really turned it around and he should he see out those four years he'd become I think the longest reigning Southampton manager since Chris Nicholl which is uh, quite a while ago ourselves though because you've had many a manager have signed long deals and um, as soon as they do well and a big cup comes knocking and uh, off they go so I mean it's it's, it's you know it's definitely the right thing to do keeping Ralph was the right thing to do um, he just needed to well it, it took that disastrous defeat and that night uh, in the rain down at St Mary's for him to have a complete rethink um, and essentially doing what, what the majority of the fans thought we should do, and that was that was go back to what he knows best and playing the formation and the way in which they uh, in, in which they did so well at previous clubs, and, and what we were expecting him to do—that kind of high press attacking football with uh, with two inside forwards and, and two strikers and really going for it and not worrying about the uh, the back three and and the fact that we were so poor defensively. Once he did that. And went back to what he what he knew. That's um that's when the fortunes changed. So we we'll hope he continues to to do that. Develops the squad and the players in which he he needs. He can hopefully bring those in and and strengthen and really get that system and that unit doing what it is that he wants to do. And a four year deal is a real sign from him and an intent from him at the club that, that that's a, a, a partnership that they want to continue. And some of the quotes from Arsenal are talk, not just on himself but on other players and contracts uh, is really talking about the journey going forward, uh, the relationship with the club and the fans and and the things he's been putting into place, like the uh, the playbook that he's been creating for the entire club, including all academy levels. I mean, these are things that are being put in place for, for the long term. Yeah, no, I completely agree because the things like the playbook, he, he's really being quite hands-on with every level of the club. And what's been what's been interesting to see actually in, in his past managerial experience and his career he rarely spends more than two to three years at one club. He uh, Ingolstadt, he then went to Leipzig. From Leipzig, even though he got them to, I think it was second in the Bundesliga in only his first or second season, it, he only stayed there for two years. And then, of course, he's come to Southampton. We initially thought this is a guy that is going to maybe stay for the three years and then he's going to move on. He's going to be someone just to take the club the next... Uh, as has been said in the press as we've become accustomed to Saints being some sort of a stepping stone. And that's something that as fans, we've gotten used to. But for Ralph, one and a half years into being at Saints, to then sign a four-year deal shows just how, how committed he is to the project. Now, of course, like you said, big contracts. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Will he be here after the at, at the end of the four years? We don't know. That's that depends on what happens. Depends if he deliver, delivers the results on the pitch. Depends on how well he does with Saints. But it's certainly very positive, and it's a bit of solidarity to have at the club. Because if he were to even make it to two years, then he'd be the longest reigning manager since Cumin, 
And that's something that Saints solidarity and stability in the managerial front is something that Saints have lacked for uh, a number of seasons. And we've and it's shown with their plummet down the table since we had Koeman in charge. What you're saying now about the, the longevity and everything else, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. If Brad Hudson until next season does really well and gets us into a, a top eight finish or, or a top six finish in a couple of seasons like, like other managers have done before I'm really impressed for the brand of football you're playing you won't be as Saints the same same as Pochettino same as Koeman the thing is with Southampton is the reason in which we haven't had a long serving manager and I suppose you probably say the same for most teams outside of the big the top sides is that if you have a manager that does well and the team really performs well and you've got a great thing going Southampton are unable to keep hold of those managers because they haven't, they don't share the same ambition that the bigger clubs and those bright lights take you know, take them away. Mm. You know, i.e. Koeman, who couldn't get the money, they could get Everton, although it didn't work out well, and Pochettino going to Spurs. The other end of the spectrum is when you bring in managers like uh, Pellegrino or Mark Hughes, who don't do very well and the side don't do very well then it's the club's decision to to get rid of them because obviously things aren't going well and, and we and we want to be uh, doing better than we are and higher in the table so there are only there's only one type of manager and that's kind of the steady eddie who is not really um pulling up any trees but is doing all right by the club and and the club are happy with where they are you know you're kind of mid-table sides maybe a Maybe your Sean Dyches or your uh, Eddie Howes, who have done a great job with smaller clubs in terms of bringing them up and, and getting them in the Premier League and keeping them there. But with Southampton, I think there's a real small bracket, maybe between 8th place and 16th, 17th, whereby if, if you're in and around there, that's probably, probably where you'll see a manager who no one else wants, but also that the club doesn't want to get rid of. So that's where we find Ralph at the moment. He's, uh, you know, I don't have doubts that he his style of play and the way that he conducts himself is impressive and beyond the position that we are in as a club. And you can only think that we'll progress. And at the moment, 14th is an improvement on uh, earlier in the season and last season. But you'd like to think maybe by the end of the season, we could be nearer that that middle of the table, only a few points off of the top half. But I think for, for Arsene Hurtel, yeah, the way in which the calibre of manager hasn't worked out for him quite yet in the way he wants it to, but it's a journey, as he said, it's a, it's a long-term thing. And once he does get us to that point, then, um, then I'm sure other clubs will come sniffing and we'll have to do the same again as we do with players. That's a very good point. Um, you know, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but it's good for the stability of the club at the moment for Ralph to be here and to sign off for the long term it does sound that he is quite committed to the club but as and as you say it's it all depends on how he's going to do in the next season or so and where he's going to take Southampton too. Yeah, it is a big positive for the club it's a big positive because to tie him down he is a good manager he's an up-and-coming manager and I do believe that he'll manage bigger clubs in the future but we've tied him down to a deal which means that if he does go, then we'll be owed you know, a, a financial reimbursement from, from whoever takes him. Whereas if his contract ran down and, and it wasn't really too much time left and someone else came and got him, then it's different, you know, yeah. somewhat like the players and like he's talked about himself about his captain this, this week. Yeah, let's go on to uh, the discussion of the captain, Pierre-Emile Ralph himself has said that if he is going to go into the last year of his contract, then he can forget about actually wearing the captain's armband. He's been there's been sniffings around bar, from Tottenham Hotspur on his official Twitter. There seemed to be a like of a article that said that he'd be perfect for Spurs' system. That like has since been taken away. What do you think about? Hoybier's recent actions on social media and Ralph's reaction to the situation. I think you look at this from a load of different point of views, really, and this is a topic that we can discuss in some detail in that. What are our thoughts morally from the player's point of view and our captain's point of view in which he's, he's made it quite public that without saying he wants to leave, that he wants to leave. What do we, you know, how do we feel about that? And how do we feel about the fact that um, Ralph has come out immediately and said the things he said about it? But then the other questions are, 
as a Saints fan, would you want to lose him as a player um, and what he brings to the club? Um, how good is he? And also, what is the likelihood that he's going to get the moves? that yeah, So once you've heard the likes of Everton and Tottenham, but, I mean, he's come out and, and said that, and he's always seemed very ambitious, the way in which he talks, you know, he's, he's a leader, he's come out after games where we've been poor and, and he's been very honest and said that was not good enough and he knows where the club wants to be, where he wants to be, where the players want to be and, and it's quite refreshing and you can always see that he's, he's come from a big club and he, and he played at a young age and trained in amongst Bayern Munich legends and you can tell that he's come from there but I, I don't think, if you're going to be a captain of a football club, I, I completely agree with what Hassan Ettel said and it's, re, it's actually quite refreshing to hear a manager come out and say it. All these players who let their contracts run down, for, for a captain to potentially do that, we're at the point where he's got a year left. So you either sign a contract or, you, or we sell you because that's that's how our club works. We don't, yeah. We're not like Arsenal where you, where you get to the point where there's two weeks left on a contract and you either lose them on a free or you pay over the odds to keep them there. That's, that's not how we work. So he's, he's quite rightly said, yeah, make a decision. Do you want to go or do you want to stay and be the captain? Because you're not, we're not going to let you lead our team if you're not in it for the long haul. But he's, he also, he was mentioning how he wants to, I mean, he's clearly ambitious. So I just wonder if, He's too ambitious because he, he talks about when he left Bayern Munich and maybe a slight regret in his um, his sort of petulance and impatience at, at a younger age. He didn't want to wait to get into that team. He wanted to play football and he had to drop down to Southampton's level from Bayern Munich, which is clearly a drop. Whereas he said, he said maybe he should have been more patient and waited for his opportunity. I don't know about you, but I, I don't see that he's going to be able, he's good enough to play for a club that's winning league titles and Champions Leagues. Um, he's not good enough for Liverpool, Man City, Bayern Munich. I don't think he's, that, I don't think he's anywhere near that calibre of player. I think he thinks he's a lot better than he is, to be honest. I don't know what your feelings are on that and how you'd feel if, if Saints had to sell him. I thought that Ralph's comments about him were certainly refreshing and I fully stand behind him. I think in answer to your question, from from what I've seen of Hoybier and commentating on him, last season he was fantastic. I think he grabbed the team by the scruff of the neck and took the Saint took Saints through a lot of games, controlled the midfield, broke up the play. He was fantastic and I believe he was arguably our player of the season last season alongside Nathan Redmond. However, this season I don't think he's matched the levels I don't think he has been as much of a presence in midfield. I think his passing has been wavered at times. And I'm not saying this as a fan, like maybe smarting a little that we could lose him in the summer. This is from what I've observed throughout the season. I think he's gone missing in some games. He's had his moments as well. He does He does have his good game uh, this season. But I feel that in answer to like his ambitions of he wants to go to a title-winning club, he wants to go to a Champions League-winning club, I would agree and say that he's not quite at that level yet. And this is one thing that I do think about footballers in terms of where, especially for a team that gets relegated, that think, oh, I'm not going to stay with this team. I'm far too good for this team. I was like, well, you were part of the side that got that team relegated. So, you know, obviously it's a hit to the ego. And obviously you can have standout players and sides that go down, potentially Villa this season. If they were to go down, you'd have the likes of Jack Grealish, who is far too good to be playing in the championship. But you know what I mean in terms of, well, you were part of that underperforming side. Would I be annoyed if he went in the summer? I think that if Ralph is happy to let him go, is able to replace him, then then that's fine by me. I mean, if he signed that long-term deal, then... If Ralph has signed that long-term deal, then he's obviously had some kind of assurances that he's either going to have the money or the resources or that something's in the pipeline that's made him eager to sign for for longer term. Because if there wasn't, and he wasn't a bit like getting those sort of promises, then I don't think he would have signed the deal. So there's obviously something there that's... We, we don't know what assurances he's been given, but I believe that if he's willing to make those comments in the press about Hoybier, then he's obviously content and happy with his options, whether he stays or whether he goes. To be completely honest with you, Tom, I think, I think he's 
replaceable, and I think he's easily replaceable. I don't see from I think I think what you're buying if you buy Pierre Emil Hoybier, I think what you're buying is someone with a, a strong mentality, highly motivated, able to motivate others around him, a real engine and an athlete. Uh, that gets around the pitch and puts a foot in, and I mean he's got a league high number of uh, number of interceptions, and tackles in the se- in the second third in the entire league. So so clearly, if you're looking at that statistic, then in terms of a, a midfielder that wins the ball, then he's and a box to box midfielder, and that's that's what you're looking for. And I think that's why, in part, that's why he's the captain and an integral part of this Arsenal team because. That's what he requires from his two central midfielders, and both both Hoiberg and Ward Prowse, I think, have, have got that in abundance. They work hard, they win the ball, they're athletes. What you're not getting from Hoiberg is any major technical prowess. He's been it's been argued a lot of the time that he's quite negative in his passing, sideways or backwards, just to keep the ball. He's definitely not shy of having the ball, but when he gets it, he never really creates anything. Uh, often can give the ball away when going forward. And honestly, I haven't seen I haven't seen a midfielder in a long time that is so obviously uncomposed when he gets to the edge of the area. Well, that's not what Hoverick's about. And I've, and I've said it a number of times in commentary and when we've watched him, he snatches at things and often he can scuff a ball. He'll end up in the box and he'll completely scuff the ball miles wide. Or, and you're thinking, you know, when, they're, when they're breaking, it often breaks because he wins the ball sometimes hard the pitch. And you're thinking the composure to slide the ball into the left or right to a, to another teammate and he ends up waiting too long and gets tackled or just just loses the ball. That, that's not what you're getting. So... I think if we manage to get thirty million pounds, which is which is what was rumoured in January, I know he's got a year left in his contract. So you're not going to get a lot, but I think if someone offered that for a ball-winning midfielder, I'd, I'd quite happily. If if we if weren't in a pandemic, I'd quite happily drive him off to to North London myself. But we've we've lost a lot of players at this club, and there've been a lot of players that we think, oh man, if only we'd kept on hold of those. I don't think Hoybier is going to be one of them. Right, give me, give me one Yama or Schneiderlin any day over Hoybier. You know what? I'd, I'd even be happy and confident in saying if Hoybier went, Romeo could come in and quite easily do the job. I think Romeo's. I've seen more from Romeo than I have from Hoybier. I think it's more of a leadership thing from him. So yeah, you would lose a leader, you would lose a captain, and you would lose someone who who. Is firing, gets stuck in, it gets around the pitch, and, and that's important in this four-two-two-two because you only have two centre midfielders often against three. But I don't, I don't see the fuss, and I've quite often sat there and thought I'd, I'd start, I'd start with Prowse and Romeo, but you, but you're not going to drop your captain. He's, uh, yeah, Ralph's not going to drop his captain. The amount of players that I think you could get in from abroad that have got an engine and that win the ball. And that don't need to be massively creative. I think I think you could quite easily replace him in that third of the price. I'm interested to know in terms of the the, the squad. What you well do you, do you concur with that? Or do you, is my position on that maybe a bit harsh? And do you think he's maybe better than that, or, or, or do you agree? And and also if he does go, who do you see as the potential captain, vice captains in the squad as it is going forward? I was actually going to ask you exactly the same question. I was well, one of two. But I, I agree that we can replace Hoybier should he want to go and should he go. I feel that Romeo is good enough to step up and fill that gap. And I do believe that on, on his day, Hoybier can be a fantastic player. And we've seen that in the past. But I, st- I, I agree with the fact that if he were to go, I wouldn't be as worried as replacing him as I was a Mane, a Van Dyke, that kind of quality. Sorry, can I just ask you something else just, just before you yeah. um, get into the second point? You obviously mentioned last season, Hoiberg, probably your player of the season, but actually in a season where we were so poor and couldn't win a game at home, 
I think it, I think it's essentially the best of a bad bunch, wasn't it? I mean, no one, no one. We didn't have a player of the season who was struggling to get one. He, he was just galvanised people and yeah. was kind of Ralph's player on the pitch to the manager on the pitch, wasn't it? This season, as you said, hasn't hasn't been so so great. Do you think there is a, a misconception that if if Hoybier was playing for another mid-table Premier League side, do you think people would be so keen to take him? Do you think there's this well, not stigma because that sounds like it's, it's negative, but do you think there's this misconception that because so Southampton have produced, and I know it's not from our academy, but we've bought, mm. improved sold on and, and a lot of them have been successful at bigger clubs do you think that there's a misconception that Koyberg is just another one because Southampton don't seem to often get it wrong I mean I'm not saying people are going to go in blindly and just say we need a central midfielder let's go down to Southampton because they'll sell but I don't see him in the same bracket as those other players and I, I just uh, I just wonder if it's not that it's lazy, but do people often think of teams like Southampton and go, right, who's next on the conveyor belt from there? Because if the likes of Schneidlin couldn't do it at Everton or Man United, then I don't really understand how uh, how is going to do it. I agree that there is that, um, that opinion of Saints. They've managed to give themselves that title over the last few years of bringing in those players, developing them and then selling them on. So they have got that reputation for it. I mean, I think there's going to be links to or to other teams in the middle of the table as well. I mean, one amazing one I saw this uh, this week was that uh, Jeff Hendrick from Burnley was being admired by AC Milan on a free transfer, which uh, I know there's silly season. I mean, and his contract runs out, doesn't it? Yeah, his yeah. contract runs out. Him and Phil Bardsley, maybe Phil will go to Inter. And then you've got a really, really meaty sans. You've got a really meaty derby there. Of course, it's not at the San Siro because they're knocking it down, but. No, I, I agree. Saints have certainly earned that reputation of they bring in players for decent money, they develop them, and then they all sell them on. So a lot of clubs will obviously look at that and think, OK, what have, what have they got? But, you know, Saints, if you want a midfielder, they've got Mario Lamina. He's an absolute world-beater. Go for him instead. He puts highlight reels on YouTube and uh, and everything of him not making some Cardiff player. You should go for him. He's obviously... <laughs> I think so. I think he's he's on loan to Galatasaray and he wants to move there permanently. But Saints, I think, are demanding too high a fee. Um, yeah, if you want a midfielder, go for him. He obviously want he's obviously you know a Champions League winner right there. I also wonder if he's um, if he's built for loan back because with the situation being as it is in the world and Tottenham being one of the so-called big clubs interested, or it sounds like they're the only big club interested. And then the news of the loan that they've had to take because they've lost so much money, what with the new stadium and lack of income because of um, because of the COVID nineteen and, and the lack of events that can be held there. I don't. I, it sounds there's a different story altogether, but it sounds like Tottenham aren't going to have any money to spend on players. It then it then you then boils down to well, how much are Southampton going to accept for a player that only has a year left on his contract? because he might run it down and then you'll get him on a free. And how much are clubs that are interested willing to spend? And I'm a bit funny, but if he's going to go to Everton or Tottenham and he wants to win leagues and Champions Leagues, then then there's no point going to Everton or Tottenham, is there? No, not really. It's um, Tottenham are, not, are nowhere near at the moment being able to even challenge for being in the in the top top two. Tottenham can't even win a bloody FA Cup. Mate, the running <laughs> joke is that Tottenham put on a bottle and they can't win any silverware so if he wants to win any kind of major silverware was he going there or Everton well yeah Everton was well. just uh, uh, going back to a couple of questions regarding who would have as a, um, a captain and a yeah. vice captain I think the choice is pretty obvious um, to me it seems obvious but if you're going to give someone else the armband it's got to be James Ward Prowse and a vice captain of Danny Ings just because Ward Prowse Ward you you would go exactly the same too. Yeah, that's I go with the same too. Um, carry on what you're saying. I'll talk about other players as well. But yeah, I, I think Ward Prowse, obviously from the academy, although although he comes from Portsmouth, he's shown that he is completely dedicated to the Saints' cause. You think of the poster boy, the person to represent Saints. Aside from Danny Ings, over the years it's been James Ward Prowse. The fans like him. He's finally seemed to find to have found that position and made it his own. He's added a real steely 
grit to his game where he's like a terrier snapping at people's heels. He's gone from quite a lightweight to someone who is aggressive in the pitch, someone who's really quite annoying and also has a, a right foot, like an absolute wand, whether it's a corner, a free kick or just a long range pass. And he's really upped his game. Danny Ings, of course, he's a Southampton fan. He's banging in the goals. I only would pick Ward Prowse over him just because of the amount of time that Ward Prowse has been here. And so yeah. the, the, those are the choices that I would make. But obviously you answer, you answer uh, with your own opinion as well. But the other question I just want to point put to you is the second second point. Spurs not having a lot of money. Would you accept a lower a, a bid of under £10 million for Pierre Hoiberg if it meant that we got Carl Walker-Peters in the exchange as well? Uh, no, no, because I think someone will probably pay more than that. If there are people that are interested, especially because teams like Everton, um, and you can ignite some sort of bidding war, that's the way in which you get out of the the running down of the contract. Yeah, if there's only one team that's interested, you know, what's to say that Tottenham won't lowball it or won't try and um, wait until January or because also you've got to realise that the transfer market is actually the summer transfer market is probably going to end up being in September so at that point and when when the league starts you actually get the opportunity earlier in the season in in January to um, to buy players and at that point you can you can sign players up on a predetermined contract for the summer or you can get them for next to nothing really on six months so I think you need multiple teams that are interested and that are going to push each other in the, in the price and the bidding war. Um, I wouldn't accept under 10 million and Kyle Walker-Peters. I think we can get a better right back than Kyle Walker-Peters in all honesty. And I think, I think we got him in last season as a, a stopgap for that position because Cedric went to Arsenal and we didn't have anyone else. So uh, we had to loan someone in for the time being. He got injured anyway, but he's still with the club until the end of the season, we believe. And in the summer, I think we'll get at least one right back and someone that will sign up permanently. Um, on the captains, yeah, you're right. I think James Will Prowse is, must be our longest serving player. Um, obviously he was in the academy with us from an age, at a young age but in terms of first team he's been in and around it for, for the last eight years no one's I don't think anyone's been anywhere near that length of time so yeah he knows how the club runs he's um, Samson through and through despite being a Pompey boy and he's uh, yeah earlier and I think with all, the, all those characteristics you said about General Prowse him and Hoybierg are, are those players in the centre of midfield, and and that's what work. That's that's what makes this system work because it allows you to have four attacking players on the pitch because you've got players who are like you said tenacious. You know, it's been terrier like, and actually, James Ward Prowse really hasn't been a cemented figure in the Southampton side. He wasn't before Pellegrino came in. He was the first one to give him a real chance, and that was out wide. It's only really under Harsen Hurtle where he's played in the position he wants to play central midfield and I think is is the strongest position and um, and he's bulked up and he's uh, I mean he wins the ball back a lot we said Hoybjerg does but Walprouse is up there as well so I think that kind of player who's going to lead the fight like Hoybjerg does in fairness is the sort of player and and you know and he's he's been with us for so long he's like you know like you said he's a Southampton uh, academy graduate so I think he's the obvious choice you can see it online that fans are, are clamouring for him to be the next choice and I'd be very surprised if he wasn't um, I think it's nailed on to be honest I'd go with Danny Ings as, as the vice as you said um, there aren't many leaders there aren't many captains I don't think in this team because it's partly because it's such a young team but you know we haven't got a strong defence so we haven't got someone who can stand up there neither the goalkeeper and then you've, you know, you don't usually have wingers that are, that are captains because they're a different type of player and they're on the fringes. They're not always involved. And Danny Ings, I think, yeah, he's a Southampton boy, but regardless of that, he leads by example. He's, you probably say, he's our best player. Certainly this season, he's been our best player, and he'll, he'll easily get the player of the season. And I just think he's, yeah, I think he he sets high standards. I think for the team. 
think not just in his goal scoring, but in the way he conducts himself. And I think that's that's an important part of being a captain. The only other player I'd I'd suggest, um, and I don't think he will be involved in the well. There's a couple. I'd say, I'd say Romeo is is a is a strong candidate for vice captain because he's he's been with us for a while. He's that kind of player, midfield battler. Um, and and he's so experienced. Yeah, he's been at he's been at Barcelona. He's been at uh, Chelsea. You know, he's he's one of the older players in our team. Um, I just I don't know what he's like in, in in terms of how vocal he is on the pitch. Maybe we'll have more of an understanding of that when we see some games behind closed doors. Yeah, there's that. He might just get about his own business and um, and be feisty on the ball, but not really much of a talker. The other player is Ryan Bertrand, who was the captain. But he was the captain until Arsenal came in, and Arsenal changed it around and took it off him permanently. I think he was out injured, kind of disappeared for a while, didn't he, Bertrand? And no one knew what was going on with him. And then when he came back, whilst he was out, Hoiberg was the captain. When he came back, Hoiberg remained the captain, and he he wasn't the voice. He wasn't even third choice. Every every now and again, when the captain was missing, he wasn't involved in that part of it. So I don't know if Ralph. I don't know if something happened. I don't know if he just wasn't Ralph's kind of captain, but he'd, he'd probably be in the top four um, if you're looking at yeah, you, you, your vice captains. <laughs> but Will Prowse, for sure, I think is, is, is the obvious candidate. Ryan Bertrand would also be sort of my third or fourth choice, along with either of Stevens or Bednarik. I think Ralph wants a captain to be in the middle of the pitch, and with Bertrand in left back, you're sort of. It's like having a goalkeeper as captain. You can't. You're sort of isolated in your position. You can't really get instructions out to your players quickly, especially if you're you're stuck in one corner of the pitch. Whereas if you're in the middle of the pitch, you sort of have access to all areas. But yeah, that Brian Bertrand or either of Bednarik or Stevens would probably be my choice. But then in terms of how much I want them as captain, Warprows and Ings are like a lot, lot higher. It'd just be a matter of their. If, if we had to pick one, it would probably be one of those, but they wouldn't really be... Like, yeah. Another bit of positive news is that Shane Long is now signed for another couple of years. That will take him to 35 years old. So it's pretty. it seems pretty likely that he's going to see out the rest of his career at Southampton. He's been here since 2014, so six years. It'd take him up to eight. He's got 35 goals and 200 appearances. I mean, for a striker, it's it, it, it's not brilliant, but Shane Long brings so much more to the team than just goals. And this season, he's been such a good foil for Ings in terms of making the space, making the runs that take the defenders away from Ings to let Ings actually take those chances. And I think that whilst he is very much your Marmite player for the fans, I am one of those who really like Shane Long. Yes, he can get frustrating with some of the chances that he can't that he doesn't put away. But I think he brings so much to the team off the pitch as well. He's obviously well liked within the squad, and he's a good bloke to have around. And he just seems like a likable footballer in terms of personality. Maybe not as a defender. You Shane Long is probably one of the worst people you want to see coming on off the bench with about twenty minutes to go, and you're absolutely knackered. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Shane Long is. is has had his best season in those um, six seasons he's been with the club. I think this season has been his best. I think it's the first time that he has been able to actually be a consistent starter because we've had two players up front. He's always had another player up front to contend with. You know, he's never he's always been one of those who'd because he's quick and he works hard and works back. You put him on the right wing, and you know, you used to have Pella. Or then you have Charlie Austin or Gabbiadini, and now you've got Danny Ings, and there's always someone. Shane Long doesn't score enough goals to be the lone striker, and that's often the, the formation sense played. So he's either a super sub or he's someone who plays off the wing. I think this season he's been one of the main beneficiaries of, of the change to, uh, to up front and that formation that comes with it. And I think, like you said, I think it was Marmite. I think... If, if a season ago, uh, a season, season and a half ago, if Shane Long had been signed up to a contract, I think you might get more of a mixed response. But from what I've seen, and I haven't looked for, for the response, but from what I have seen online, I think everyone's pretty happy. Everyone likes Shane Long. Yeah, he's, he's a likeable player. I think that goal at Anfield helped with that. 
and and you know he'll be sort of a, you know be a legendary moment in the club's history. But I think he's um, I think he's been so much better this season. Actually, this season he's been much more of a goal threat and has picked up some goals. And it's a shame the season had to temporarily stop when it did because. Like you said, I think he's great for rings, and I think he was um, he, he was in form. He was in goal scoring form. It only took him six seconds to score against Watford, but he's. Uh, I think he's definitely. Everyone loves a try, and don't they? Fans love someone who will chase down the keeper when he's never going to get it, and that will get you a round of applause or a cheer, and that will galvanise the rest of the team if you if you're kind of not playing well and you need to step it up. Shane Long's one of those players that can do that and the fact that he has added goals to his game he's quick he is got the best spring of any player in the Premier League for my money so he wins so many headers and I think like you said I think he's a likeable guy to his teammates but also the fans the fans just love him for what he is he's not our main goal scorer but he, we are a better team when he's in it and um, I firmly believe that so I mean he's mid-30s now isn't he so Thirty-three, so this will take him into thirty-five. I think it's a, I think it's a good deal for everyone concerned. I think you probably have uh, assurances that as he gets older, he's not going to play as much. But he, well, he's a good player to have around. Danny Ings obviously absolutely loves having him as a strike partner. They seem to know each other's game really, really well and know what to do. And it'd be interesting to see how many goals that Ings has scored this season has come about from either Shane Long causing the opposition to make a defensive mistake or Shane Long has been somewhere in the build-up. I mean, one that comes to mind is the first goal at Villa Park in the 3-1 win, where Long was actually put through on goal, and every all the def- Villa defenders focused on him. He then he then shot the goal. Heaton saved it, but Danny Ings was about a couple of yards away, completely unmarked, just to tap it into an empty net. He takes the players away from Danny Ings, and I think that's something that is really under an underrated quality of Long. Yeah, a lot of my friends will say Shane Long's useless, he doesn't score. What does he actually what does he actually do? But it's the stuff that you don't really notice that no one really shouts about that you see. Yeah. And that's what I think, we, I think that, that's a perfect summarization that that goal against Villa, you know, he, he does the hard work, he gets it on goal. He's got all the defenders on him. His shot isn't good enough. It's saved. And then the poacher, the goal sniffer, Danny Ings, is there to tap in from three yards. I mean, that's quite typical. But you can't argue with the fact that it, you know, he's played in the Premier League for so long. So many clubs have taken him on. He was at Reading. They, they had him in the Premier League. West Brom had him in the Premier League. Was he up in the hole at some point? As well? It was like half a year from. and then we signed him pretty much after six months at hole. Yeah, and I think they were in the Premier League at the time. So he's a Premier League striker. Just because he doesn't have the numbers, he's not going to be in the 100 club. He, you know, he's not that kind of player. He's, he's, he's one that you want in your team when you're defending from the front. And when you're pressing, who's, who's better apart from maybe Jamie Vardy? Yeah, those two, those two would be top of your list if you wanted someone who's going to press and work hard. Yeah, maybe someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin does that quite well. But with the package you get from Shane Long, uh, like you said, defenders don't want to play against him. I think he's. I think players would prefer to play against Danny Ings than they would Shane Long any day of the week. One thought that's actually just come to mind. It was um, something my friend said quite a, quite a while ago, but it's just come back. If it, and it was that. If Shane Long was really good at finishing, then he would arguably be one of the best strikers in the league and he would not be at Saints. He'd be unbelievable. He's literally, the lad's got everything else. He's he's one of the quickest players in the league. He's not that tall. I don't know how tall he is, but he wins headers off the biggest defenders because he jumps so high. He works so hard. He's, he's actually, he's technically a lot better than people think. The amount of times that I've watched the ball get pumped over the top, because that's what happens with Shane Long, he's an out ball. If you need to get out of your own box or you're defending a lead and he runs off into the channel and halfway and you pump it up the line, he will make something of it. He'll get himself between the man and the ball, can win a foul, can overtake players, can get there, can chase them down so they put it out for a throw-in. And the amount of times I've seen a ball pumped over the halfway line and it's come over Shane Long's shoulder and then he's managed to bring it down and it's, it's not bounced at all. It's just sat there. 
like the, the most majestic touch. And you think, where the hell did Shane Long get that from? And he does it. And he, he's technically, he's, he, is a, he is actually a lot better than people think. Just in front of goal, he isn't quite the striker you want him to be. If he was a composed finisher, he'd have everything. But then you can argue that if he was a composed finisher, he'd be a different type of striker and he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be doing everything else. You'd want him between the posts, like a Danny Ings, rather than uh, rather than running in the channels. So yeah, I don't, you're not going to get that complete forward all the time. No, he certainly makes the most of what he's got. And as a Southampton fan, we absolutely love it. I mean, you were saying how many times you've seen a ball pumped over the over the top. It's like when we've been commentating the number of times that a long ball has been played. There's a, from where we're sat, it looks like there's absolutely no chance that any Saints player is going to get to it. But quick as a flash, Shane Long has run after it, closed the gap, and then he's won a throw in down the other end of the pitch. It's just stuff that stuff that Jamie. He's not the Jamie Vardy. He doesn't score volleys from twenty yards out. He doesn't finish those chances. But it's the stuff that goes unnoticed that just people don't see. Just that running fifty yards when the defender's about what fifteen twenty yards ahead of him, but he still managed to get the get to the ball before him just from that sheer determination. Then that's what defenders hate. Because you can't leave like someone like him alone. Because at the end of the day, he's still Premier. He's still in the Premier League. He is good enough just to slot that ball away. Should he, should he need to? Yeah, he doesn't do it a whole lot of the time. But you just can't leave him on his own, and that's what makes him so dangerous. You don't, you don't get that time in possession that you that you would get against some of the goal scorers in the league because uh, you know, when you've got the ball Shane Long's going to be on you in a flash even if you're the goalkeeper but yeah I agree with that I think he, he the fact that he can um, get his side 50 yards up the pitch when they've got their backs against the wall he, he relieves the barricade and the attack and everything on on, the, on our own penalty area sometimes and that's and that at times and towards the end of the game can be, um, can be priceless but yeah, he offers a hell of a lot. We're a big Shane Long fan. Um, one of the other things we want to talk about is uh, Daily Echo saying that there is apparently the intention of signing a right back this month. We don't know who. We have our guesses as anyone else would or our preferences. And I don't know exactly where the story's come from, but they're, they're calling them exclusive and, and it sounds like they're, they're pretty sure. Although how many times have we seen... Saints are on the verge of signing a centre-back and we st- we've managed to do that in the last two seasons we've needed to but right-back is the obvious first choice for a signing this summer because we don't have one uh, I mean, my and Valerie but I'd, I'd suggest that that still means we don't have one and we clearly need one Walker Peters will be going back who do you think um, judging by the clues that the Daily Echo are trying to give us I don't know how much they know, to be honest, because they're making it out like they sound who, like they know who it is, but they're not allowed to tell us that so they're giving us clues. But who, who's your money on? Uh, well, the main clue that they've given us is that it's a, from a club where their league has already been terminated for the season. Now, names that have been thrown about previously, we've got Wacky Myler from Genk. I can never, I never yeah. quite know if it's Genk or Ghent, but it's one of those two in the Belgian league. So they're yeah, so they've stopped. And another one that's come into the media over the past month or so, uh, I can't remember what his first name, but his surname is Zayfoik, which is something, the way it's spelt. Exactly. It's uh, it's going to be a dangerous one for you and I, Callum, should uh, should we sign him in the summer for commentary <laughs> next season. My money... Where's the play for uh, he's from Groningen, so we'd take another. So from the academy of uh, Van Dijk and Tadic, though that those those two. So from I so saw another. So it's not another misconception like we were saying with the signing of Hoybier. Yeah, and, and you know we're just going to go and see who Groningen have got this time. I've seen uh, one clip of him that's been doing the rounds on Twitter, and I'd, I'd urge you to see if you can find it. He, if it is, is it for? He certainly leaves his foot in, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him pick up a couple of red cards in his time at Saints. There is one, after the clip itself, there's a loose ball on the halfway line, and he's just gone full in from behind on the slide tackle. He's won the ball, but he looks certainly like he's going to throw in a couple of crunching tackles. He would certainly add a defensive of solidarity. Myler, who has been linked for some time now, is more of an attacking threat. 
and maybe more in the Cedric mould of being able to put in a good delivery down the other end, although Cedric, some sort, his delivery has been very much questionable in the past. But Myler is someone who's technically gifted, does score quite a few goals and has had experience in the Champions League. So you'd expect him to um, demand a high fee or to have bigger clubs after him. Yeah, it'd certainly be a coup from what we've heard. I mean, he was he was linked uh, in January when we were looking for a right back. Obviously, with Cedric heading out the door, and we're a bit light in that department. But I think just based on that, then that would that would make sense because he plays in Belgium. We've we've clearly been interested in him, interested in him previously. It makes sense also that we're going after players now when clubs have finished and and are obviously thinking about their teams and uh, and who they're going to buy and who they're going to sell um, rather than going after someone during their during the you know, the middle of their season so yeah I think um, I think it makes sense that it might be them I mean me, me and you have both said how we'd um, like to see us go for someone like Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest uh, because he's got that forward thinking uh, pacey getting up the field almost like a wing back and and I think that sounds like it that's more of the player that uh, Myler is than um, Zafuk who sounds like he's uh, that's what people are going to be saying every time he goes in on a challenge with him to the referee so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that kind of player to fit in with our system because I think we're going to have some flying fullbacks. I mean, you've got the perfect player on the left in Bertrand to do that. Um, it'd be interesting to see who would be on the other side. Have we got any young players coming through? I don't, I don't myself particularly rate Jan Fallery. He's not strong enough defensively. Too lackadaisical. Um, it'd just be interesting. We've had to use the word Prowse there and he's, he's not... Um, He's, you know, he's wasted and, and right back. But it will be interesting to see who comes through this season because I think a lot of teams actually are going to be going on a tangent, going to be relying on the youth players, uh, certainly for the rest of the season because obviously with the, with the games every few days and the five substitutes, you're going to have to expand your squad. So youth players will come through and that will potentially give us a, a better idea of who can hack it. And I was thinking earlier when we were saying about Romeo coming in for Hoiberg, it might be a good audition for, for Will Smallburn, who um, who looked good when he when he played um, in a couple of the games he's played this season. So I'd be interested to see who's coming through. But I'd suggest if Valerie was the best we could do at right back, then we would need to sign we would need to sign someone. Yeah, and another youth academy player, I very much doubt with his injury history that Ryan Bertrand's going to be able to make it through nine or ten games in six weeks. So Jake Vokins is probably going to get played in that position at some point, and he looked good in his outing in the FA Cup. So, Callum, we are, well, in two weeks' time, we'll be currently half an hour into Southampton against Norwich. The first three fixtures that have been confirmed for Saints are Norwich away on Friday the 19th of June then the following Thursday they're at home to Arsenal with Watford away being followed on that Sunday three games to look forward to I know you said a couple of weeks ago that you're not going to bother trying to make any prediction for any results at the moment because every team it would be uh, it'd be silly to try and attempt it because every team has stopped there's no there's no form my opinion so you're going to ask me what my prediction is then right <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it was inevitable. One, what I was gonna, the way I was gonna put for that is Southampton against Norwich is the first one. Now, form aside, the fact that there's been a gap aside, Norwich and Maroon towards the bottom, it's highly unlikely that they're gonna get out of that quagmire, as it were. It's a game that quarantine or no quarantine, no break in football that Saints would expect to win. It's away from home, and they've got the majority of their points away from home. My opinion is, is that should Saints get a result and get three points against Norwich, then it's going to be, for, for Saints fans, quite an enjoyable end to the season yeah. to enjoy those games. Uh, lockdown, the game pressure will be taken off the game against Arsenal to get points. Pressure will be taken off the game against Watford to get points. Maybe it's still a game we need to get points from. 
But if Saints were to get a result against Norwich, then they'd be on 37 with arguably just three points to get from their remaining eight games to secure survival. If Saints were to lose, however, then it could be squeaky bum time and make this football bonanza slightly slightly more tense. Yeah, well, Arthur has uh, said previously that he, he thinks that 36 points will be enough to stay up this season. Now, I don't... Yeah, I'm not going to call that a complete science, but that would suggest that one win from the first game back and they'll be happy and um, and yeah I think you're I think you're right in saying that I mean it just comes with the territory really being a Samson fan but you're never quite out of it if you look at the Premier League table there is a, an obvious bottom six you've got Brighton in 15th um, sixth from bottom they got 29 points and then you've got Southampton above them there's a five point gap there so there is there is a separation between the bottom six and everyone else. I think for Southampton, I mean, I'd ideally like to not be that first team above those bottom six because we're the most likely to get dragged into that. I'd like to get a win the first week back and, and be level on points with Everton and, and maybe jump above Newcastle and then you feel a little bit more in that pack and there's a little bit more safety there. Um 27 points, that's the team that occupies 18th. Saints are seven points ahead of that. Now, if you look in the other way and you're looking seven points ahead of, of Southampton, then you're up in eighth alongside Tottenham. So actually, you know, you'd laugh if you'd laugh about the idea of, of Southampton potentially finishing eighth on the same points as, as Tottenham. But, they're, you know, they're, they're as close to that as they are to 18th. So I think if Sampton return, like you said, a, a win or a good couple of early wins out of those first three games and the last six will be nice and they'll be on a holiday. So I mean, they won't have to worry too much and you can afford to, to sort of take liberties. But yeah, right now, Nor- Norwich, I don't think is an easy game. You said we expect to win it, but Norwich is one of those games. I mean, we notoriously do quite poorly when we go up to East Anglia and, and face them and um, and Norwich actually if you recall I made this point the other day that Norwich started the season really well and some teams in the way that they're run some teams have good pre-seasons some don't do it well and some teams are prepared and they actually they're galvanised from a break and Norwich would have been looking at that league and seeing that they're only six points from safety and when they do get back, if they do get back, then they need to start with a bang and there's a real chance that they can do the great escape. A loss on the first game at home to Southampton will probably put a dent in that. But I think they'll see that. Certainly, from Norwich's point of view, you're needing to pick up points and your first game is against a team in 14th. I think they'll fancy themselves. I think your point about away form versus home form it's probably irrelevant now that the COVID things come in. It'd be interesting to see if actually Southampton's home form picks up because they haven't got any fans. <laughs> uh, it'd be interesting to see that. But I, yeah, I mean, in terms of quality, you'd think Saints could overcome that. But it's the first game back. We don't know who's fit. We don't know anything about anything with teams coming back. And anything could happen on this first weekend. You know, I, I could see that potentially ending in a draw. Um, and I wouldn't be, even though they're bottom, I wouldn't be completely upset with that first game back. You don't want to hit a, a rejuvenated Timmy Pukki um, once you get back into the season, do you? So, yeah, it will be interesting. I think I, I just can't wait for it to come back and to see all these unanswered questions and all this kind of uncertainty about the players and the teams and no fans and how it's all going to work we've seen it in the Bundesliga but I'm just interested to see you know, I can't see teams picking up where they left off so I'd, li- I'd like to see if just from the first few games just how how it's going to impact this return what, what are your thoughts on the first three games then so I mean I'm not even going to bother saying if they're home or away because it doesn't matter or we don't think it does so Norwich Arsenal and Watford probably three tricky games because all three teams have got something to play for. Well, when I look at when I look at those fixtures, all I can think of is yellow. Norwich are going to play in yellow, Arsenal will probably play in yellow and Watford will be yellow. That's just the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I don't... I, 
don't know why that's at the very front of well, it. Thanks for your analysis on that one. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll, we'll take that. We'll definitely look into that and um, take that into take that into the games when we watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be. Uh, it's going to be all about uh, rating the rating the home shirts. No. Um, well, you've heard Norwich is a game that it, it, it's a good and a bad game to come back onto, as you say, because it's a bad game because it's a tricky away fixture. However, and Norwich could be rejuvenated. They know that, look, we've had a break. Let's go into these final games with a real push, have a real go at trying to stay in this league. But also it's a good game in the sense of it's a game that it's a winnable one to start off with. It's not like Saints are going away to Man City on the first game back where after all this time you're thinking, well, we've probably lost the first game anyway. So it's a game where Saints can certainly start well. Arsenal, it's tricky because like you and I have the same opinion that Arsenal are certainly very poor this season. Even under Arteta, there's still many frailties, many problems at that club. It's unlikely that Aubameyang's going to be staying any longer he is their only real threat of a player. It's a game that I think is the game that Saints can actually try and get something out of. I wouldn't be surprised if Saints were to get a point or even a win out of that one because I just think they can take the game to Arsenal. And Watford is actually, I think... We often do well. Watford is actually, I think, the trickiest game out of all three of those because they have had a resurgence under Nigel... Pearson, although they do seem as a club to be quite reluctant about the return of football. So even will their talisman Troy Deeney, will be will he be starting in that game? Nigel Pearson didn't seem to be too keen on the resumption of the league. So it is a tricky one. Watford, yeah, they they were down at the bottom, but they're now in a position to survive. It's always a tricky they place. Had to... They had the staff and players, Mariapa. With um with COVID as well, didn't they? When that first round of tests yeah. came around, they were the team that had been hit uh, hit the most as well. So maybe first game back, Watford might be one of the teams at the top of your list because they've they've had to come back a bit later, or players are worried if they've been in contact with with those that have got positive tests and and, and all of that. But I suppose they've been tested, so they know they haven't got it. Mm-hmm. So you make an interesting point because I, I actually think. If, if you've got to play these teams, um, and I can't remember which big teams we've got left to play, we've got. I um, think oh, first game back. I think first game back. I'd like a big team because I think that I think first game back after this weird pandemic where no one's been able to really do anything is your most unpredictable game week of fixtures. And actually, whilst everyone's getting used to it and the lack of fans and coming back and having not played football properly for a while I just think that might be the biggest time to spring an upset and whilst there's uncertainty I think it's best to be to, to come up against a big team because you you know you never know you might play Man City at the Etihad which is a fixture you would not expect to get anything from but you could get a win because they've got players who aren't able to play they've got players who aren't fit they might get injuries there's no fans and it's just the whole thing's odd playing a Premier League game in an empty stadium is odd and yeah. Southampton might just go into that and think it's not our stadium. Let's go after them, and that's that. Yeah, they're there for the taking. You know, Surely City are already used to playing in front of no fans anyway, though. Uh, I thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, joking aside. No, I do get your point. I, 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 I do agree with that. That it's unpredictable. It, it, that first game week is is going to be weird, and it's going to be those first couple of games will sort of set the precedent of our team's going to pick up from where they left off. Our team's going to be come back resurgent. Are they teams that are going to be in good form suddenly trail off? I think the the only certainty, obviously, is Liverpool winning the title. But we'll discuss that more in our next episode where we're going to do our own Premier League preview. And if you heard our one. Uh, listen to our one about the Bundesliga. We're going to go try and do a similar start to that. We'll rattle through each of the 20 teams. We're going to talk about the remaining fixtures that they've got, key people to look out for. And uh, we're just going to discuss how we uh, how we think the season is going to end. We're really excited. I'm still noticing that it'll be just a couple more minutes until half time in two weeks' time. Not that I'm counting away the minutes. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, just interestingly as well, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, I'm, I'm up for doing that. We can go through and it'll we'll, be less of an informative thing because people know, yeah, they're going to tell people how to suck eggs. They know what the Premier League's all about and they've watched the season. But it might just be that we need a bit of reminding because I've already forgotten most of what's happened in this season. And people ask me things like, "Oh, what's the best 
goal so far this season or what what was the score or you know what was the last game that was played or this that and the other I think I can't remember but here's one for you there's only one team that's undefeated in the Premier League in 2020 do you know who it is um, in the Premier League is it Man United it's Arsenal Arsenal wow four wins four draws so they you know if you were getting a little bit of form I know some beat it's typical Arsenal really some beaten and some beaten you know, unbeatables but half of them are draws so um, yeah they, they've, they've managed to, to not lose so it sounds you know you might have gone under the radar but maybe Arteta's getting them uh, um, together and a bit sturdy but that's obviously Saints' second game back first home game back so um, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if they're the, the same reluctant defensive force that can kind of uh, come down to St Mary's and and, and get a result uh, but I agree with you yeah I think Norwich I think what, what, what Watford probably is the trickiest of those of those three but it's all to play for it is all to play for Callum this has been really good fun we thought it was going to be a short episode but like we predicted we've managed to discuss a lot we of course will be doing that Premier League preview episode that'll be out next week we're also as it as the clock ticks down to that Premier League kickoff We'll be doing more episodes about preview, getting closer to Saints. There'll be more information closer to the time of who's fit, who can play, who's going to be out. Of course, one thing that we do know is that Jenepo will be out for the first three games because he got sent off in the in the last game before we went into quarantine. If you have any questions for the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at under underscore Saints. My Twitter handle is at T214 Murray. This has been Under the Lights. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And it's only about 12, 11 sleeps until the Premier League kicks, kicks off. So until then, bye bye.